Hello and welcome everybody to the latest edition of the Did You Know podcast by the Louisiana Budget Project. Uh, it is the end of the second week of the Louisiana legislative session. I'm Jan Muller. I'm the executive director. I'm here with our producer, Jamie Carson, and with Paul Braun, our policy analyst uh, covering tax and budget issues which means he is probably the busiest guy in our office this session because there's a lot happening with taxes and budgets. Uh, Paul, it is still very early in the session. We've only been through two weeks. The first week, uh, very rarely anything happens. So this was the first week, um, week two, when we really saw a lot of discussion on bills. Uh, and particularly, uh, the Ways and Means Committee had three days of hearings uh, day one, they talked about the uh, uh, bills to eliminate or reduce the individual income, corporate income tax, these kind of big global bills that sort of everybody kind of knew didn't have a chance to really pass this session. Day two was tax credit day. That's the day that we paid particularly close attention to. And then day three was kind of uh, on Wednesday was energy taxes. Uh, that, that's roughly how it broke down. Paul, what did we learn this week about how the Ways and Means Committee uh, or the Ways to Be Mean Committee, as they sometimes call it, uh, is going to approach tax policy this session? Yeah, I mean, I think I think we saw sort of three days and three sort of different stated intents from uh, Chairman Stuart Bishop of Lafayette leading that committee. Um you know, day one, Monday, as you said, were some, I think we could call it Richard Nelson Day. Um, Representative Richard Nelson has running for governor and running on a very uh, aggressive and um, comprehensive package of, of tax reform, the centerpiece of which would be eliminating the state's income tax and restructuring how locals assess property taxes and what they have to pay for. Um, all of those were seen as long shot bills, um, you know, beyond the, you know, income tax elimination. The push is really pretty wonky and, and tough for folks, even within the building to sort of suss out exactly how it would all play out. So, you know, it wasn't a whole lot of a surprise to see those bills tabled probably indefinitely after the first day of Ways and Means this week. Well, and, then and let's back up for a minute and just talk about Nelson's plan because you used the word reform. And, and I don't know if that's the word I would use to describe <laughs> that bill. Sure. Uh, you know, there's probably a lot of members in that building who love the idea of uh, eliminating the income tax um, but when you get into the details, you very quickly figure out how difficult it is. Uh, if you pull on that thread, you have to make up the revenue in some way or else you're not going to have health care uh, services or, or public education or any of those kind of basic services the state provides. And that seemed to be where people got a little bit of um, uh, you know, of, of heartburn. Uh, I'm, I'm absolutely about. Rep. Schlegel's comments uh, in that committee. Uh, what did she say? Uh, she said, you know, my, my constituents is a conservative Republican from the New Orleans suburbs and said, uh, yeah, my constituents love the idea of getting rid of the income tax. But if I ask them, uh, are they still in favor of it if it means their property tax is going way up? 
70% of them said no. Uh, that to me was the comment that really uh, told us why we're not going to have this debate beyond the committee this year. And some big, and this doesn't always come through on the podcast, but some huge air quotes around the word reform there. That's definitely uh, Richard Nelson's language around it. I don't think anybody in the building really sees it as a reform um, because it it would, it, it's hard to say that'd be better. There There is uh, just so many question marks up in the air. Yeah, the ramifications on property tax are um, just, they would be massive and unpopular. And um, there's little to no evidence that any of this would work out, uh, you know, certainly not in the short term. In the long term, there's no evidence to see that it, it would be supported. Richard Nelson loves to point to Texas as, you know, an example for all these things. Uh, but a lot of the bills that Richard Nelson was discussing talk about, Policies in Texas that have been, frankly, disastrous with respect to local governments picking up the tab for uninsured patients going into hospitals. I mean, we've seen 37 rural hospitals in Texas go under in that same time period. That's just one little thread to pull on there um, for what is just a huge and and deeply problematic uh, tax package. Um, and yeah, as you said, I mean, there's so many aspects of this that, you know, on their face, I think voters have a problem with um, from all sides of all, all points on the political spectrum. And um, that's without even sort of chasing down some of those, um, those rabbit holes and seeing exactly where this, what this would do for essential public services, whether that be safety net hospitals or schools or um, municipal infrastructure, all of these things would be put in jeopardy police. by such a deep cut. Yeah, no, let's not forget police. Uh, you know, there's an of effort course. this session to increase supplemental pay uh, for local law enforcement. That's one of those unique only in Louisiana things that we do. We subsidize every local police officer, sheriff's deputy, even the, uh, you know, the levy cops down in New Orleans uh, all get a monthly stipend from the state of Louisiana. And one of the few things that everybody agrees on is that uh, that stipend should be increased this year. But again, um, the price of getting rid of the income tax is higher property taxes, higher sales taxes, um, and less revenue to provide basic services. Uh, there's a huge trade-off. And again, we talk about Texas. There's a lot of good things in Texas, but they have three times the uninsured rate that we do here in Louisiana. And Paul, as you mentioned, uh, a lot of rural hospitals, a lot of people in rural communities struggle to get basic services in Texas because um, of, in part because of the way they structure their tax system there. Um, Paul, let's move on to tax credits. Uh, that was Tuesday in Ways and Means, and uh, there were a lot of tax credit bills on there. One in particular that we were uh, very supportive of here at the Louisiana Budget Project. Uh, what happened on EITC? Um, and I, I, I'm going to just, uh, you know, spoiler alert, nothing. Nothing. Uh, right. <laughs> but uh, talk about the tax credit bills and, and uh, what we saw in, in Ways and Means on Tuesday and what that may mean going forward. Well, yeah, I mean, I think what we saw with EITC and as you said, nothing. We saw a continuation of, of uh, Chairman Bishop's 
cautious approach on tax credits, wanting to figure out what the full price tag would be for all of the credits before taking action on any of them. There is a bit of an asterisk next to that. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about what went down on Wednesday with respect to energy tax credits. But for now, you know, what we saw with the EITC, everything was sort of paused. Um, everything, all the arguments for and against were, were brought up and presented to the committee. And they're going to take those on later on in the session once we have a full picture of what those tax credits look like. But with respect to the EITC, I mean, if we're just, you know, reading some tea leaves and Obviously, we've got a dog in this fight. The earned income tax credit has been a big priority of the Louisiana budget project because of just the overwhelming benefit that it has on working Louisiana families of low and moderate incomes. Um, we saw a lot of support from grassroots organizations, from policy focused organizations like ours. Uh, talking about those benefits for working Louisiana families. And um, the earned income tax credit in the state of Louisiana is at 5% of the federal credit. The federal credit, um, which is very generous, can range in its amount, you know, all the way up to a couple thousand dollars for, for the average filer on that one. Louisiana's is much, much smaller. Um, the average take home for that is about $121 per year for um, the typical filer for the EITC. So doubling that um, is a small but meaningful step that the, the state legislature could take toward improving the lives of those people through and creating a more equitable tax code. Um, so that was just one of, of the many, many credits that we saw sort of on the table yesterday, uh, on Tuesday in that committee. And um, I think it was encouraging to see the receptiveness of, of lawmakers on, on both sides of the aisle with respect to, to the earned income tax credit. And, um, you know, on its surface, it, it was the uh, Chairman Bishop's decision to sort of hold everything and, and take a cautious approach that struck us as okay. But as you sort of extend that into the next day, and we're looking at what can only be described as tax credits for, for big oil. Um, well, let's call it what they are, tax cuts. Tax cuts. I think that's, that's yes, um, a more apt description and um, really kind of a troubling change of uh, approach from the, uh, the chairman and the committee at large in Wednesday's sort of marathon hearing on severance tax and, and all of these. So, yeah, so, so to be clear, what happened was on Tuesday, we heard bills that provide tax credits for working families. It got a very respectful hearing from a lot of uh, uh, the advocates who showed up, but there weren't any votes taken. The next day, the oil and gas industry came to the table and said, we want to pay less in taxes to the state on the we extract from, um, from Louisiana. Um, because we think it'll make it more competitive. The economists that they brought with them uh, testified under oath that, uh, no, it's actually not, it's going to lead to less revenue and it's not going to lead uh, necessarily to the economic boom that you say it will. Um, but even despite this testimony, the, end, uh, the, the bills got passed out. So right now, uh, the, the Ways and Means Committee is on record as saying, uh, we don't want to mess with the income tax and and take on that you know whole whole bag of beans. Um, we really don't want to you know do anything on tax credits right now, but those will probably get a vote in a couple of weeks. But oil and gas, let's give you guys a tax cut. 
And the reason that I think this is uh, kind of an interesting uh, and timely debate is because the other big action this week was uh, next door in the House Appropriations Committee. And on the same day that the EITC got its hearing was public testimony day in House Appropriations. And uh, what we heard there, um, you know, you always hear from a lot of uh, people and organizations that de- that that really depend on on state revenue to run their program to to provide services. Uh, we heard from the uh, folks, uh, you know, in early childhood, early care and education, who say we need at least three hundred million dollars. Uh, that's not currently in the budget to be able to provide uh, the services to be able to number one fulfill the promises that we've made to local governments that have raised money on their own. Uh, the state is supposed to match that, and we have an opportunity this year to put money in that fund, but also to replace a lot of the federal money that's been supporting uh, early care and education programs for children zero to three that really allows people with low incomes and young children at home. And Paul, you're in this, uh, I don't know the low income part, but but certainly with young children at home to be able to go to work and have their children in a, 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 a safe, enriching learning environment um, that costs money and and frankly uh, for for low income workers that's an area where the state needs to provide services and we need money um and I think the thing that people need to understand and and uh, is that this year at least the state has the money there is more than a billion dollars of excess revenue in the current year budget. Um, and and I think there's going to be a really interesting debate uh, in the next few weeks about how we do with that money. Um, excess money is different from surplus money. Uh, the state has about 700 plus million dollars in surplus revenue left over from last year. And the Constitution has very specific rules on how surplus is to be spent. It's one time money. You're supposed to spend it on infrastructure, debt repayment, uh, kind of you know, one-time needs. You don't want to plug it into ongoing programs, and that's appropriate. Uh, excess revenue doesn't have those kind of rules. There are very few rules uh, apply to excess revenue, and it doesn't necessarily have to be treated as one-time money. But this week we saw that um, that some of the conservatives in the House are really worried about spending this money to address the state's needs. And the reason is because we have this kind of artificial spending cap in our constitution that we're gonna bump up against uh, this year. And it's gonna take a two thirds vote to break that spending cap. Um, So, you know, I think one of the key debates is going to be, you know, are legislators willing to take that uh, admittedly tough vote um, so that we can use this excess revenue to really address the needs that are out there, the needs that uh, that advocates express to the House Appropriations Committee that aren't funded in the current year budget, or uh, are they going to try to uh, you know uh, get around this cap by basically putting all this money into into the state retirement systems? Um, which you know I think uh, you know I understand that the temptation to do that. But, you know, let's be absolutely clear about uh, the retirement obligations in the state. Those are constitutional and contractual obligations that we have made to teachers and state employees that are going to be uh, satisfied. You know, there is whether or not we put money 
excess revenue into this, you know, unfunded accrued liability. There is no teacher, there is no state employee who is not going to get the pension that they've been promised, uh, the defined benefit pension plan that the state has for those two groups. Um, this is simply a way to say, you know, we don't want to take a cap vote um, and we'd rather do this than uh, address the kind of more ongoing uh, current present uh, problems in the state that we have the money to address. So anyway, that that is my rant on that. Uh, uh, but but I just wanted to get your thoughts, Paul. And absolutely. And, uh, we hear that the budget is going to start moving out of the House Appropriations Committee, maybe as early as next week. Um, so where do you think this is going? And, and do, do you think the Senate is on board with the approach that we saw this week from the House? I, I think there's some differences in the Senate uh, from the approach that we've seen. The the very um, cautious and sort of restricted approach that the House uh, wants to take with these excess dollars specifically. Um, you know, in the Senate, we've seen some appetite from Senate President Page Cortez himself to bust the spending cap and to put some of this money into early childhood education, as you talked about. I mean, there's a huge need there. Uh, and we've seen the benefits of increased investment over early childhood education in the last couple of years um, during the pandemic era spending levels from the federal government. We saw a, a $200 million, well, we're seeing a $200 million of, of temporary spending for early childhood education evaporate uh, and disappear from our budget. And Governor Edwards has already proposed spending about putting about a quarter of that back into the program. But, you know, that increase enhanced $200 million turned into tens of thousands of, of additional seats in the state's early childhood education system, something that has been, you know, lauded by Republicans and Democrats alike, and frankly, is a, a, a deep and abiding need of, of the citizens of Louisiana. We've seen the benefit that investing in kids at this point in their life has, not just in the short term, but for years and years to come. So, We've seen some interest in in putting, you know, specifically putting some of these excess dollars um, into early childhood education. Hopefully, that's something we see explored further as as the spending package makes its way through the House and and into the Senate, and um, we'll see exactly what happens with that. There's, you know, ways to to spend money on the people of Louisiana that have lasting effects that, um, you know. Lawmakers otherwise want to put into funds or want to put into roads and bridges. And those are important things to do for sure. But the people of Louisiana, you can invest in them too responsibly and in a way that pays dividends for years and years to come. That, that, that's exactly right. And I want to zero in on one word you just used, which is the word investment. You know, we are going to be hearing a lot of talk in the next few weeks about spending as if that is sort of you know the, the state government run amok or we're spending too much money um but when we talk about uh early childhood education in particular we are really talking about investing in kids and investing in their future because as you said there are lifelong benefits to getting you know high quality early care and education that allow kids to start school on time um, at grade level. So many kids in Louisiana are really behind academically by the time they start kindergarten. So these early years, uh, you have a young child at home. I'm not that far removed from having <laughs> children zero to three at home. I think uh, Jamie Carson, our producer, 
Um, we've all had, had young kids at home uh, very recently, and you see how quickly children's brains develop in those very early years and how critical it is to have uh, support for that um, so that they can just kind of get those basic cognitive skills. Um, and once again, you know, if, if you're listening to this and you're paying attention, you're probably paying attention to budget debates. Please understand that if the state doesn't fund these requests in early childhood, uh, that's a policy choice. If anybody tells you any different, um, they are wrong. It is a policy choice that the legislature has to make. There might be some tough votes involved, but you ran for this office. Uh, you chose to be there. You chose to try to serve your community. And, and I think the community at this point really needs these investments if we want to move Louisiana forward. Um, so hopefully... Uh, the Senate's view of this will prevail, um, the, uh, but it's going to be a very interesting few weeks at the Capitol. We'll know a lot more next week or this week when you uh, actually are listening to this podcast. We're recording on Friday. Hopefully you're listening on Monday or Tuesday, maybe on the way to the Capitol. Um, again, uh, there are some real choices, but we can choose to make these investments. We have the revenue available this year. Um, all it takes is is a majority vote, 53 in the House and 20 in the Senate. Uh, with that, I'm going to wrap it up. Paul Braun, thank you so much for joining us on this rainy Friday uh, at the end of the second week of the legislative session. Jamie Carson, thank you for producing. Uh, he's our communications director and uh, our podcast guru. And thank you, everybody, for listening. I'm Jan Moeller, and we'll see you uh, probably in, in a week or so. Uh, enjoy your week, everybody.